Hello, and welcome to the College at Charleston podcast. I'm Mike Robertson from University Communications, and in this episode, I talk with Pat Kelsey, the new men's head basketball coach at the College at Charleston. Kelsey was hired earlier this year to coach the Cougars after spending the past nine years as a head basketball coach at Winthrop University. During this tenure, the Eagles made three NCAA basketball tournament appearances, and Kelsey finished as one of the winningest coaches ever in Big South Conference history. I had a chance to talk to Coach Kelsey about building a basketball program from scratch, growing up in a basketball family, and a lot more. All right, Coach, let's go back to earlier this year. You're the head basketball coach at Winthrop. You just finished the season with a 23-2 record, and you've taken Winthrop to the NCAA tournament. This is the third time you've taken them to the tournament. After nine seasons, you are now the fifth all-time winningest coach in the history of the Big South Conference, averaging about 20 wins per season. By all measures, you were very successful at Winthrop. Why did you leave and come to the College of Charleston? Well, if you have a few minutes, let's walk out the door and just take about a 15-minute stroll around downtown Charleston and look at the buildings and talk about the history and see the palm trees and see the Atlantic Ocean, meet people on this phenomenal, remarkable campus, this world-class university, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist, although we have a president, President Chu, who is a rocket scientist. Uh, I sure as heck am not. Uh, but it's pretty darn obvious this place is special. I've always seen it as special. To be honest with you, within the coaching fraternity, um, if you go out and ask coaches, take a poll, guys are going to say Charleston job's a special job. Um, I just think what we can accomplish here, our goals, our vision, uh, all those wild and crazy dreams that I have can and will be accomplished here. Well, now you're the coach at the College of Charleston. You come here, and because of graduation and transfers, you only have three players who wore the College of Charleston jersey last year. Now you have to build a team by scratch, and you have to do it in a few months. How do you do it? Didn't get a lot of sleep, Mike, to be (laughs) honest with you. The the lucky thing or the blessing was in coaching transitions like that, you know, typically families stay behind to finish school and sell houses and things like that. So uh, my the best recruit I ever signed, Lisa Kelsey, my wife, and uh, my three most prized possessions on planet Earth, Ruthie, Caroline, and Johnny, stayed in Rock Hill and finished up school at St. Anne's. So, um, you know, I, I, so we, we could just work around the clock here for about three months. And to think that we signed 10 players in 10 weeks – is crazy in in my profession when people ask hey how was the transition and you explain hey we only had three players returning we had to sign 10 players in 10 weeks they go oh my goodness i've never heard of that before but uh, we uh I give a ton of credit to my staff my guy uh, and, and they just did a remarkable job uh, obviously identifying the type of student athletes that will fit not only in our basketball program and our culture but uh, at this magnificent university and then just working hard, and it all came together. I love the makeup of our team right now, and can't tell you how excited I am for uh, for the ball to go up here in a in, in a few short weeks. Was it tough to recruit students <clears throat> to the college? Uh, geez, what we have to sell here, and I, I think you felt hopefully uh, the passion, the emotion, 
hopefully it came through the microphone when you asked me why, why would you come here? Why wouldn't you? And I would ask the same thing to a recruit. Are you kidding me? Look at this setting. Look where you get to live. Look at our facilities. And then you talk about the, the, the support that we get from our administration. We have an athletic director like Matt Roberts, who's world-class. Um, and then you know, we've got a great tradition to sell here, too. I mean, John Cress is an absolute legend. Walk out on that floor and look at his name, uh, the number of games he won. I, I figured it out here recently, Mike. I got a coach to I'm 117 and averaged 20 games a season to match his number of wins. But uh, it's been done here at a really high level. There's great excellence, a great tradition to sell. And uh, no, so to answer your question, I don't think it's a big chore to recruit here. You just get kids to campus and it sells itself. You're young. You can hit that number easily. Uh, let's talk about you for a second. Was basketball always your sport growing up? It was. Uh, I played everything. My dad's a businessman, but he's a coach. My dad played college basketball at Xavier. Um, he and I both combined missed 1,000 points. Well, I missed it by 912. I think he missed it by 847. But a basketball was in my crib from the time I was a child, and, and, and basketball was important. My brother played college basketball, was a great player at Northern Kentucky, Hall of Famer there, as was my sister. Um, you know, they got all the athletic ability in the family. I got all the looks is what I like to say. But it, it was, you know, talked about the pick and roll at the breakfast table, just like a coach and a coach's son does. And uh, listen, in baseball season, I played baseball. In football season, I played football. Um, my dad is, is the greatest mentor you could ever ask for. He never missed a game. Now, that meant – you know, he never took a Saturday off. Uh, he never took his off day on Tuesday off, but he was at all our games. When my sister played college basketball, my brother played college basketball, I played college basketball, he and my mom never missed a game. My father will be in the stands at College of Charleston games every single night. And just such an example of the investment and the passion that, that he has for uh, his children, his children's lives, my mom and dad both. And then the lives of the 21 grandchildren that they have now. Um, we come from a big family in Ohio. My mom's one of 10. My dad's one of nine. I have 52 first cousins. They're all in the greater Cincinnati area except for the Kelsey crew down here in uh, our city, as we like to say. But somehow they're, they're omnipresent and they're everywhere. And he works his butt off, and he's a very, very successful, successful business man as well. Unbelievable example as to... How to have passion for your profession, passion for uh, uh, in your life, and, and passion for your family, and be successful in all of those. So I had an unbelievable example in that regard. Well, when you were growing up and you were shooting hoops on the uh, uh, driveway growing up, who did you pretend you were? Who was your hero? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna say who it was in in the. The, the entire sports world might shudder when I say this because his reputation has been soiled over the years. But where I'm from in Cincinnati, Ohio, the name uh, Pete Rose is said with reverence. Um, obviously, he's had his trials and tribulations throughout his life, right, with the gambling things. And But the thing that – the reason he's beloved in the city of Cincinnati is, one, he's one of our own. Right? He's born and raised down by the river in the west side of Cincinnati, which is where my family's from. Um, the Reds, Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati are a religion. 
You know, like I could recite to you, Mike, the entire last out of Tom Browning's game, perfect game in 1988. That's how passionate I am about the Cincinnati Reds. If you want me to do a little part of it in a second, I will. <laughs> but, you know, Pete Rose is the greatest hitter in the history of baseball. He hit 4,256 hits, a rush record that will absolutely never be broken. But the reason, more than anything, in a blue-collar town like Cincinnati, especially in the west side of Cincinnati, is he went all out every time. And uh, I like to think the grit and tenacity that I, I think I played with and maybe that I go about my daily life with, I got from my mother. And she never told me, Mike, good luck today, son, you know, or I hope you win, or uh, when, when I was going to a game. The only thing she said to me, Mike, was dive on the loose ones. Dive on the loose ones. And that means if there's a loose ball, you dive on it. And, uh, you know, I try and really hard not to be, quote, unquote, that guy with my children that's pushing them, being overzealous and to, to, to be uh, into sports and things like that. If they're passionate about it and they're into it, great. But when you do it, whether we're playing pickleball last night, give everything you got. You know, and if, if you got to go all out and that ball hits the line and you might run into that fence a little bit over there, so, so be it. But we're going to go full out, all out every single time, Pete Rose style. <laughs> so if Pete needs a letter of recommendation from you to get to the Hall of Fame, you're going to write it. I mean, I don't know how long this podcast is, but if you want to get on that topic, <laughs> we, we, could, we could chew about three hours. I, I'm guessing you don't want that. When did he decide you wanted to be a coach? And that's a great question. I think I told you my dad was sort of a coach, just how he runs his business, how he motivates his employees, how he motivates his sales force, uh, how he raises his children. He coached my basketball team growing up as well. So my dad's passionate, successful, and smart. I think if he would have decided to go the coaching route, he would have been a Division One head coach. That's how highly I think of my dad. But when it really, really, really became apparent to me that that's my calling in life, was when I got to college and I worked, uh, or I'm sorry, I played under a man named Skip Prosser. Skip Prosser was the um, head coach at Xavier University in the mid-90s and then became the head coach at Wake Forest in the early 2000s. And uh, I was with him for almost a decade and uh, proud of the education that I got at Xavier, right? I was a business major, uh, Somehow I graduated cum laude. I, I think I read your bio, Mike. I think I have to add my SAT score times two to get to yours. <laughs> so I'm not saying I'm the sh sharpest knife in the drawer, but I got a great education. Uh, but I tell people all the time, the best class I ever took was uh, Professor Prosser, Coach Prosser's class every day from three o'clock to six o'clock on the gymnasium floor in the, at his practice. And uh, besides my father and my grandpa, you know, he's the most influential figure on my life and emulate him, try to emulate him every day and the way he went about his business, the professionalism with which he had, the way he treated people, uh, because he was, he was incredible at those things. So, yes, that, that more than anything is what drove me into coaching. You uh, were recruited, obviously, out of high school by several colleges. How is recruiting different now than when you were being recruited? Well, now you got to have a trainer, you know. So now you have, in recruiting, the trainer that you deal with, the AU coaches, the high school coaches, and the parents. 
and then you have a strength and conditioning. <laughs> so the web has just gotten gotten bigger on 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 the people that uh, that are influential in a player's decision. And obviously, the higher level, uh, the higher rating of a recruit. I mean, sometimes the more people that are involved in a recruitment. But now you bring into things like the transfer portal. Um, name, image, and likeness, even here in the last six to 12 months, there's been a huge turn in a new evolution of the animal that is recruiting. So it's evolving now more than ever because of those things. Is that tougher as a coach? I don't know if it's tougher. Like, here's the thing. I'm a big believer that if you're resistant to change, you're just going to get run over. You know, I mean, there's probably some of those old school coaches and who are resistant to change and we do a lot of what we call BCD, which is one of the worst things you can do in our program, which is to blame, complain, and defend. Um, and if we're busy blaming the system, the new way, kids are different, you're complaining about these new rules and the transfer portal and the, the, the addition of name, image, and likeness and some of these things, or you're trying to defend the old way, you're going to get run over. you got to be ready to adapt and change and understand that, that things are changing, be, be adaptable, and take advantage of it moving forward. Do you remember the first time you walked on, a co- walked on the, the court as a head coach? What was it like? So, yes, I do. Um, and somehow the, the staff previous to us at Winthrop was able to get VCU – who was just coming off a of Final Four to play at Winthrop. And that's hard because, especially when we got really good, it became harder and harder and harder to get good teams to come into your venue because they, you know, higher schools don't want to, higher level schools, Power Five don't want to come into a Winthrop, know it's going to be a really tough game to win, and then you lose, and the whole college world's talking about that loss. But, um, you know, BCU's thing was havoc. That was their mantra, havoc. They create havoc. They run, they press, they trap, they fly around, they turn you over. That was Shaka's brand. And sure enough, they wreaked havoc in the first uh, three minutes. And, you know, media timeout happens every four minutes. So, you know, they press us, they trap us, we turn it over, they get a basket, throw it in, they trap us, they press us, they deflect it, they get a steal, kick out, get a three, something else happens. And then even before the media timeout, I call a 30. <laughs> and it's 11-0. And, and, and the guys come over, and I'm thinking, holy cow, what have I done? I got no answers for these guys. We are getting our doors blown off. Uh, and I have to go in front of those guys, look them in the eye, and give them some sort of confidence. So, yes, that was my – my introduction to head coaching, and uh, luckily it got better from there. Is it easier to coach or to be a player? Man, I, I, would, say, I would say be a player because, A, we were talking about this the other day, coaches live and die with every loss, right? <laughs> and you're such a roller coaster of emotions and – I was having a conversation with three or four coaches on the road recruiting, and we're in a circle, and it was like high-level guys, right, very, very successful. And we had that same conversation that kids don't take losses the same way we do. You know, you want their to look around in the locker room. You want them to – you want to see distraught, right? You want to see we're going to change this. And 
kids are so resilient where they just turn the page and they're on the bus and all of a sudden they're looking at their social media and checking their TikTok or whatever the heck it is. And uh, us coaches, the world's ending, right? And, and uh, so I do think when you're a player, you still have that wide-eyed look at the world and we're, we're, we're going out and getting to play and compete and wear free gear and play on national television and all those things. There's nothing like that locker room when you're a player, that camaraderie, that brotherhood. And what I found as you go on in the world, uh, obviously I, I feel like I'm real lucky as a coach because I still get that locker room, right? I still have that feel and that, that, that vibe and that chemistry and that passion that, that you get as part of a team in a locker room, but there's nothing like the camaraderie of players, you know, in, in, even the guys that I played with at Xavier in college uh, that maybe I haven't talked to in, in years and years and years, but then we're at a reunion back at Xavier and you see them and you hug them and they're brothers for life because of what you went through and the trials, the tribulations, the adversity that you get to go through, get to go through and deal with as a, as a student athlete that helps prepare you for the adversity of life is something really, really special. All right, Coach, last question. You have just been appointed – king of college basketball you can change one rule or regulation concerning the game what are you going to do man you're putting me on the spot here um you know the older i get the faster i want to play so you know 30 second shot clock you kidding me let's go down to 24 man like i'm telling you it, it, you go down to 24, and there still might not be a shot clock violation in College of Charleston basketball uh, for the remainder of my tenure. Like, that's how we attack and play offensively. So um, I'll think about it when I walk out the door, and I'll probably have a better answer. But if you're talking strictly X's and O's, I think the entire world of basketball should be on the same page from a shot clock standpoint. And I think high school basketball needs a shot clock. And that's a whole other diatribe that I could get on, and I'm going to avoid for today. But, uh, man, I just appreciate you having me on, Mike. This was so much fun. All right. Thank you, Coach. All right. Hey, our city. Our city. Our city. <laughs> Thanks again to Coach Pat Kelsey. This episode of the College of Charleston podcast was written and produced by Amy Mercer from University Communications. Recording and sound engineering was done by Jesse Kunz and the staff from the Division of Information Technology. I'm Mike Robertson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the College of Charleston podcast.